Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Lavinia. Welcome to There She Goes, where women writers share true stories of travel. Their stories, their experiences, told in their own voices. One of the reasons we started this podcast is that the first time Kelly and I met, we told each other travel stories. We were complete strangers, but after spending just a few hours trading stories about experiences in Morocco and South Korea, Italy and Greece, we were friends. Our travel stories connected us. We recognized them as important. And we came away from that first meeting feeling validated and inspired. This is the power of women's personal travel narratives. Consider our storytelling podcast a brand new passport, transporting you every week to a different place for a brief escape, sometimes far away, other times closer to home. Consider our storytellers your brand new travel friends, your sidekicks and sisters and guides. Or even therapists. And consider this your chance to hear some of the stories you may have missed. There She Goes is that simple. No chit-chat, no interviews. Just great storytelling by women travelers. We invite you to settle in for the adventure. Today we travel with Kimberly Lovato to Ireland, where after a lifetime of sticking out, she finds a sense of belonging and an appreciation for what sets her apart. Kimberly's work has appeared in many publications, including National Geographic Traveler, Condé Nast Traveler, The Best Travel Writing, and The Saturday Evening Post. Kimberly is also the author of several travel-themed books, including Walnut Wine and Truffle Groves, which was awarded a Gold Lowell Thomas Award in 2012. This is Kimberly Lovato reading Pretty Red. Carrot Top, Rusty, Ginger, Pippi Longstocking. How original. I've never heard that one before. I want to respond. Connect the dots with my freckles. Forehead Smack. That's a clever idea. Yes, that's right. Someone did leave me outside in the rain and my hair rusted. As a redhead, I've heard all the jokes and jeers. The only tag that never made me wince was the one my grandfather coined. How's my pretty red? I can still hear his sonorous voice ask, employing the tender name he'd used for me all my life. It was always my pretty red. I was always his. I'm the sole redhead on a family tree of dark-haired relatives, including a twin brother, whose roots sink four generations deep in American soil. Beyond that, the branches are forgotten or unnoted. I'm often asked where my red hair comes from and whether I'm Irish. I don't think so, is my normal response. But on a recent trip to the Emerald Isle, I began to wonder if a homeland could only be defined by ancestral roots. Could feeling at home tether me to the land, too? Growing up in Los Angeles, I felt there was a certain circus freak fascination with my hair. Step right up, folks, and get your tickets to see the bearded lady. Test your arm wrestling skills against the world's strongest man. And don't forget to feed a nickname to the redhead before you go. The authenticity of my hair color, a nutmeg, cinnamon, ginger blend, also provoked prolific questioning throughout the years an inquiry my mother says would send her into orbit when strangers asked whether her infant daughter's locks were natural. 
Why would I dye my baby's hair? was her frustrated response. I spent my teens rubbing lemon juice onto my tresses to lighten them up, and in an attempt to obliterate my freckles, I slathered fade-out cream on my face, hoping the dots and the attention to them would abate. Dating was hell, especially in Los Angeles, where blondes were bombshells, brunettes were sultry, and redheads had, quote, great personalities, unquote, the kiss of death in courting jargon. I remember during college, a friend set me up with her boyfriend's roommate. On the night of the double date, while we primped at her place, the guy left a message on the answering machine. Hi, I'm looking forward to meeting your friend. She's cute, right? Not some red-haired, freckle-faced girl. Ha ha ha. I went on the date anyway, but the remark stung. When I was a kid, my mom or my grandmother tended to my wounds braiding my hair with ribbons and soothing me with verbal band-aids like special and unique. As I got older, however, it was my grandfather's advice that got me through. Pretty red, he said, during one of our yearly visits, pay no attention to boys who are colorblind. My grandfather had been doling out life lessons since I could remember. When I was about nine, my mom drove my brother and me to Pismo Beach to meet my grandparents for a long weekend. My grandfather had planned to teach me to fly a kite, and at 7 a.m. on a damp Saturday morning, we trudged across the dunes, my hand in his, to the shoreline. The rainbow-colored wing was stretched over a balsa wood skeleton that was tied off by white string that wound around a red plastic spool with two posts on either side, like bike handlebars. My grandfather laid the kite on the sand and backed up down the beach, letting out the line slowly. I kept step with him until we were about 20 feet away. He began to run as he talked, jerking at the spool. Pretty red, flying a kite is a lot like life, he said, yanking at the kite. You need some runway and wind to get it going, and it can get a little tricky at times. The kite fluttered and lurched side to side, and the fragile frame flexed against the air. I ran alongside my grandfather and when he heard the whoosh of the wind catch the colored fabric and lift it skyward, we turned and watched. But it's up to us to make it soar, he said. My grandfather studied the kite, then handed me the spool, and I took two posts in my hands. The strength of the wind dragged me a few inches across the sand. My first visit to Ireland was more than 30 years later. I was in my early 40s, and once there, I wished I had visited decades earlier. Though still a minority, redheads are found in higher concentration there than anywhere else in the world, reportedly making up an estimated 10% of the population. At social events back home, I often felt like a zebra at the horse farm. But in Ireland, three or more members of my homogenous herd were always roaming about. Being a redhead anywhere is like being in a club whose secret handshake blazes atop your head. In a hotel, at a restaurant, on the street, whenever I cross paths with another redhead, there's an unspoken connection forged by recessive genes and shared experience. An eye lock I always perceive to mean, yeah, I know what it's like. In Ireland at times, that bond was a little stronger than expected. At a pub in Belfast, I somehow ended up pseudo-river dancing with a blue-eyed, auburn-haired girl about 10 years younger than I. 
We hooked arms and carved figure eights around the dance floor, kicking our knees and feet. When the music ended, she put her speckled nose up to mine and kissed me on the lips. I love Irish girls, she said in her sexy brogue. Too stunned to break the probably very obvious news that I was not a real river dancer, nor Irish, I let her disappear into the bard's crowded thicket. Preferring to savor the souvenir of my first and only kiss as an Irish girl with an Irish girl. On a more recent trip, it was instant kinship with redheaded Olive, whose pale skin, carved cheekbones, and fiery spirit seemed cut from quintessentially Irish literary heroine cloth. I'd met her on the vast and idyllic Lissard estate in the countryside near Skibberdeen, County Cork. And when I saw her at our communal dinner table, I immediately planted myself next to her. She told me something I didn't expect to hear. Even though redheads are more popular here in Ireland, we're still made to feel different and awkward. Garfield, Marmalade Head, Freckles, and Ginger Nut were all names hurled her way. I thought red hair would surely be more celebrated in a land where the trait is embedded in common Irish surnames, such as Flannery, meaning descendant of the red warrior, and Flynn, son of the red-haired man. Someone took a photo of me and Olive, and when I viewed it later, I thought we looked like sisters. In a way, we are, connected by recessive genes and shared experiences. As redheads do, Olive and I eventually moved on to discuss curious superstitions linked to our kind. You know, some of my cousins were involved in building the Dunbrody replica ship moored in New Ross, the homestead of John F. Kennedy, Olive said. They told me they had heard stories that red-haired women should not be allowed near the ship when it takes her maiden voyage. Bad luck. Another Irish woman told me it's considered bad luck if the first person to enter your house on New Year's Day is a redhead, and still more. During the Middle Ages, people with red hair were sometimes thought to be witches, and even Shakespeare, I'd heard, used red wigs on his most dastardly characters. The list goes on. During the two weeks of my most recent visit to Ireland, I'd been quizzing redheads and non alike to see if I could turn up any charms or folklore beyond banal nicknames and typical omens of bad luck, witchery, and hellfire and brimstone. I wasn't sure what I was looking for, but in Ireland there's a good chance you'll find an answer or at least have a late-night epiphany at the local pub. Pubs are the epicenter and social glue of any Irish town, and certainly they are in the tiny Port McGee, a Crayola-colored fishing village on a rocky stretch of coast in southwest Ireland where I landed for a night. Its pint-sized bar with beer-sticky floors was packed with young and old, couples and singles, working and retired, all of whom had gathered like members of an extended family. Cheers and backslaps greeted new arrivals, while local musicians sat on wooden stools in the corner and jammed on odd-looking instruments. I'd struck up a conversation with the fleshy-faced, red-bearded man next to me, who belted out spirited lyrics of cultural anthems I wanted to know. During a lull, I acknowledged our shared gingerness and asked him what wacky stories and names he'd heard all his life. Aye, don't you worry about that, he said, tugging on the ends of my hair. I always tell people that red is the color of lust and sensuality, of power, of candied apples, of strawberries, of wine, and of love, all things we enjoy and can't resist. Forehead smack. I had really never heard that one before. 
And until that moment, I'd forgotten something else my grandfather had once said. Pretty Red, you'll spend your school years trying to fit in and the rest of your life trying to stand out. Consider your hair a head start. He was right. The whole freckle-faced, carrot-top, redhead thing works a little like the ugly duckling story. At a certain point in my late 20s, I, like most redheads, began to feel more like the swan. The splintered debris of a taunted youth eventually transformed into thick, protective plumes, billowed by confidence and teeth-grit determination. And eventually, like most redheads, I learned to love my fiery hair and embrace the attention and distinctness I had once shunned. In a taxi, on the way to the airport on my final day in Ireland, the chatty driver studied me in the rearview mirror. I can hear you are American, but you must have a little Irish in there, eh, pretty red? There's something about the Irish lilt that makes my knees weak and my eyes pinwheel. It took away some of the sting of hearing the beloved nickname I hadn't heard for a while. My grandfather had died the November before my last trip to Ireland. I sat with him on the couch, holding his fragile hand, the same hand that had helped me fly a kite, the same hand that two decades later led me down the aisle, the hand I'd always felt on the small of my back urging me forward and supporting me when I stumbled. I was teary-eyed, anticipating the goodbye. Well, pretty red, it looks like I won't make it until Thanksgiving, he'd said. He didn't. But in Ireland, surrounded by my coterie of carrot tops, marmalade heads, and ginger nuts, I felt like I belonged. And I felt my grandfather near, his hand on mine again. I felt like his pretty red. You've been listening to There She Goes storytelling podcast created by two women travelers and recorded from their homes in Alabama and Louisiana. Our theme music is a selection from the song City of Refuge, created and performed by Abigail Washburn. Thanks to Jay Burgess for engineering. Thanks to our amazing writers for proving how essential women's stories are and for bringing their voices to There She Goes. And thanks to you, our listeners, for coming along. We hope you'll be back next week for another story and another stamp in your new passport.